welcome to Sample Cupboard, the place tucked away from the hustle and bustle where we come to have a chat about whatever's on your mind. I'm Kay. And I'm Johnny. And we're here to sample all of life's ups and downs in all their glory. Grab a drink, get comfy and close the door behind you. Hey babes. Hey. Week three and we're in the sample cupboard yet again. Week three. Hasn't it gone really quick? So fast. I feel like this month is just flying by, isn't it? I know. Isn't as well this month on a calendar is like really aesthetically pleasing. It's like the first is on a Monday and then the last day is on a Sunday. Is that right? It's like. Yes. Yeah, it's perfect. And it's like four perfect weeks, Monday to Sunday. If you took part in the poll that I did couple of weeks back on the insta i screenshot the month of february for all of your aesthetic needs so you'll be able to see it if you go back into the instagram account at the sample cupboard in the highlights reel there's the poll section check it out so how's your week been all right yeah you know what it's just i feel like i blinked and it went what about you mm, i agree yeah it's been so fast um but you know still moving on still well it's all good um I'm conscious that we've got a lot to talk about today, so we're going to get straight into it. Exciting episode. Because this is a fashion podcast and we're talking about fashion, um, we wanted to talk about what we're wearing today. And we're going to call it On Wednesdays We Wear, homage to our good friends, the Mean Girls. So um, I'll start today in a sample cupboard. I'm wearing a lovely oversized knitted jumper beige color from asos you know the one all the gays have got it <laughs> it's fab i think they're doing it in a lilac colorway they've done it in a mint colorway they've done it with a contrast sleeve but this is the og and a pair of um zara jeans that i got in the sale and my sheepskin slippers ofs because isn't that what everyone's wearing at the moment gorgeous so today i am literally dressed like a ninja i'm in a black long sleeve top and black joggers and I've got fluffy slippers but I've lost one as we've sat here oh no I've actually only got one foot in one and my other foot's on my leg <laughs> honestly all I wear is what's that Kardashian meme um I have seven stylists who dress me in sweats and leggings that is literally me but without <laughs> the stylist honestly honestly but you've got to look glam I feel like I've dressed up today this isn't normal attire I feel like I've, I've gone all out for you guys last week we introduced our new little section which was sort of an overthinkers hotline style thought of the week and we've now come up with a, a title called what is it again <laughs> <laughs> a memorable title called shower thoughts okay this week mine came to me in the shower and to be honest, it's where I stand and just contemplate life quite a lot. I think we all do, definitely. The shower is my kind of, outside of the sample cupboard, it is my safe space. So we're going to be calling it Shower Thoughts from this week on. Till we come up with a better name, basically, if you've got any suggestions. <laughs> it's up on the Instagram. Um, we've also got an email address as well. Hello at thesamplecupboard.co.uk, which you can email any of your questions or feedback. Nice things only to us directly. So this week, it's it's my turn. And I don't know how many people will be able to relate to this. If you're a driver, then you'll probably be able to relate to it more so. I was walking with my mum and I walked past this garage, a petrol station garage, and there was only one car in it and they were filling up. And I noticed that both 
the entrance and the exit to the garage were on the same side of the road. And I was thinking, how do we know which entrance is the entrance and which exit is the exit? Is there a right way or a wrong way to pull into a petrol station? And how are we supposed to know that if it's not labelled? That is actually so true that there is rarely any labels, especially the ones on on like a roadside. Yeah, because this is what it was. It was on a roadside. There was just two drop curbs and the petrol station. There wasn't an entrance. There wasn't an exit sign. There was just one car in it. And I was like, how does that car know that it's facing the right way? There's not even space, like spaces for you to pull into it. It's just a fucking free-for-all in there. Yeah, exactly. Honestly, uh, and who's going to who's gonna come out of the petrol station and say, no, sorry, you're actually facing the wrong way? You need to reverse out. <laughs> oh, God, don't ask me to do that. But you can literally fill up from any side. Each car has a different side. You can pull up to different bays to fill up with. So true. And I was just thinking, have I been pulling into the wrong side of the petrol station my whole life? <laughs> I don't know. You've, that's actually stumped me. My mind was completely blown and I and then I started to get really anxious thinking of all the times I've gone to fill up and the person in the petrol stations looked at me out the window going fucking numpty. Well, it also depends where the like where the petrol station kiosk is positioned, okay? Because yes. If it's like one way then it's it's kind of clearer as to where the like your if your back is towards the petrol station that kiosk then that's probably wrong. <laughs> if it's behind you but then if it was to the mm. side do you know what I mean this one was on a 45 degree angle wow so it was it was very nondescript so either way you'd be kind of in the view shot of the petrol station kiosk and also I pay at pump so I don't ever go into the kiosk I basically behave as though the kiosk is not there what is the role of the kiosk other than to sell things <laughs> so you get your chewing gum and your Mars bar I actually, for the first time ever, I had to ask for help at the petrol station. It's really weird that you say this because... Oh, oh no. Loads of the lanes were closed because it was late at night. And the only lane that was open was the one that wasn't the right side. Well, like, I mean, it depends on the side that I've driven in. But <laughs> we don't that, know. The direction I've driven we'll in, never my, know. my petrol thing's on my driver's side and, and the petrol hoses were on the other side what are they fucking called pumps that's it they were like pump number seven are you having trouble like over the tunnel yeah it was more to fly oh in. my god no way okay well if you have any knowledge if you've worked or do work at a petrol station if you understand how they're designed please get in touch hello at the sample uk, or we are at the sample cupboard on instagram So the main topic of discussion this week, well, I think we're both really excited about this, aren't we? Definitely. We are going to be discussing all things the fashion industry. So obviously, as we've introduced ourselves before, both Kay and I work in fashion, we studied fashion, that's what we do. We asked you to ask us any questions that you had about the industry, whether they were rumours that you wanted dispelling or if they were things you wanted to know about how to get into the industry, what it's like. We are going to answer those questions today. Just a disclaimer before we get going, 
we obviously are fashion professionals we've studied fashion and we've worked in fashion but we are in no way industry experts we don't have professional training on giving advice to people searching for jobs uh, and we cannot speak for the whole industry in its entirety we can only give you advice based on our experiences and our friends experiences so yeah don't take everything that we say for bible use it with your own judgment okay we're not claiming that we're experts on everything we're saying it's just advice we would give to each other and our friends that we want to share basically it didn't come from us that's on that the first thing we wanted to talk about really um because we had a lot of questions about how we got into the industry and how um we basically figured out we wanted to do fashion in the first place why don't you start the proceedings yeah, so as I said last week, I've always known that I wanted to work in fashion. I've been quite lucky in that aspect. So as soon as I could get a job, um, as soon as I turned 16, I kind of made it my mission to get a job in retail because I knew that that was kind of where you start to build a career up in the industry. Um, it is a great place to start as well if you're not already in the industry and want to be, but we'll touch on that later. So my first job was at a concession within House of Fraser and I absolutely thought I was the bee's knees. I had to wear heels and a dress. I had to wear heels. It was very smart, wasn't it? It was very smart and I used to like go totting in in my heels um, and I remember one day I wore platforms to work and my boss was like, mm, no. It's mad to think it was like that. I know. They had quite strict guidelines. And I remember I'd gone on holiday and got a, a henna tattoo and I came back. I had so many. And my boss was like, are they real tattoos? Because we weren't meant to have tattoos, weren't meant to have piercings. And I had my nose pierced. That's so mad, isn't it? And it wasn't even that long ago. How kind of it was that conservative. Yeah, eight years ago. That's mad. Um, so, yeah, I worked there. And then um, my manager actually left and went to another concession, which was downstairs on like the young fashion, fast fashion floor. And she rang me and said she wanted me to be in interviewed for the position there. So I went down there and then it was just quite, a, I was quite lucky. I was really hard working. I was in like school holidays doing full time hours. When I got the job downstairs, which was for warehouse, um, our supervisor left so I was doing her role as well and then eventually my manager left so it was just me until they basically recruited I don't think I'd even turned 18 at that point so it wasn't like I was managing a team but I was like having to do all the figures conference calls everything <laughs> I'd set my sights that I wanted to work for Topshop from quite a young age and I always saw that I wanted to work at their head office um so I went into Topshop I had a friend who worked there at the time after speaking to her she said we've got jobs available I then got interviewed and came in as like a senior sales advisor and I worked in retail for a few years worked my way up became the team leader which I guess is like a supervisor position um and then worked in various roles. I moved to London. I worked in their operations team of one of the flagship stores. I got to do like some really interesting store opening, store closures, refurbs, everything. I'd kind of, although I was based in London, I'd get to go to like, I actually ended up coming back to the Midlands for a few different things. And this was while you were at uni, wasn't it? This was all in my first six months of uni, yeah, while I was studying. So that was, that was really good. Yeah, while you were studying. Which I was quite lucky because in my first year I didn't really have that many contact hours so I was working quite a lot um, but it also gave me really good exposure to the business and also then helped when I was applying for um, jobs within my intern year so I did like a sandwich year at uni 
we won't specifically speak too much about uni because we'll do another episode on it but part of my course I chose to, to to do a year working in industry um I'd actually been applying for loads and loads of jobs and it got to like April and all my friends had secured internships and I was like oh my god I'm never going to find anything I've applied for hundreds of jobs no one wants me and then I thought I'm going to look for things other than buying because I've been I obviously said I studied buying at uni I've been applying to buying only and then I applied to a job internally in Topshop for a merchandising role and then I got it which I was so happy about and I was like it's just meant to be so that kind of kick-started my journey in fashion head office I remember my first day I was like oh my god like felt like I was gonna throw up on the tube on the way there it was really really good I worked there for 18 months ish give or take and then went back to finish my final year at uni and then ended up moving back to the Midlands and got a job as I mentioned last week it wasn't directly in fashion but it was within a buying function of Selfridges um, so in their procurement team and I'm currently working in marketing for a company it's just kind of launched its leisure wear range anyway less about me that's been a long story. Yeah, no, no, that was good. It's a really interesting like trajectory. And I think compared to yours, mine is quite different because I didn't always know that I wanted to work in fashion. I, I had quite a few big career change times in my life. I had quite a few um, moments where I decided that actually I wanted to do something different. Um, and I didn't really solidify whether I wanted to work in fashion or not until I was sort of at the end of my A-levels and I had been working in uh, New Look on the shop floor, same as you, as a sales assistant um, for about two years while I was doing my A-levels. And I, that was like a part-time job, sort of, I was a Saturday boy and then I'd worked in the holidays and any sort of downtime that I had, um, I gradually progressed to doing more and more hours there. Um, but I was studying A-level art and I didn't really know that I was interested in studying anything design related until I'd kind of got to the end of my choices and realized I was actually going to miss the art side quite a lot because up till that point I was looking at applying for theatre and doing theater and acting so quite a big change um, and I didn't make the decision until quite last minute I literally changed my mind probably a couple of weeks before the UCAS deadline rewrote my personal statement went round and had a look at some unis that had open days and then submitted my form so it was a really quick change but I guess when I look back I've always been interested in fashion and clothing as a means of self-expression getting the job in New Look was a real eye-opener to that world and I really enjoyed it and I think that was what kind of swayed it for me I'd worked there for two years I'd loved working with all the clothes it wasn't the most exciting of stores because it was in our town centre so we didn't have all the new fresh lines coming in there was only really a small top shop as competition so I really enjoyed that side of things working with them seeing all the new stuff come in learning about all the figures of the sales driving new uh, elements and at that time brands were approaching selling online branching out into social media, this real holistic idea of selling clothes. Um, and that really interested me. So I kind of put all those things together and last minute decided that I wanted to do fashion design. So I applied 
uh, got in and was there for four years. And like you did the year in industry as well. Like I said in previous episodes, I was at ASOS, uh, but I was doing garment technology there on menswear. Um, I kind of specialised in menswear at uni purely because I spoke to a tutor and I basically said to them, I'm not really interested in one particular gender I'm kind of interested in merging the boundaries between both and kind of creating a crossover um and I think either way I'd I'd make my clothing quite androgynous very gender fluid it was very different to the design background that I'd had at uni um but what attracted me to it was the fact that I was looking really closely at the details of the of the garments looking at how they were made, working with the factories, looking at fabric sourcing, understanding how garments worked. And that was something going into uni from an art background, I had no idea about prior to my course. And when I got to studying, I was really interested in it and completely fascinated in in the kind of breadth of that as a subject. I could barely sew two bits of fabric together before I went to uni it was it's kind of blasphemous almost to the people that spend their you know you hear of these people who've been sewing dresses for their barbie dolls since they were like four and they've been obsessed with that side of the fashion industry whereas for me it was more about like if I think about it now knowing what I know it's more styling it was more uh retail focused like selling and creating ranges and stuff and building that sort of plan and the design element came into it but never the construction so when I learned about that and learned how diverse it was and how interesting it was I looked for roles in garment tech um because I thought not only would it solidify my making knowledge but it would also if I did want to go out into design afterwards I'd have a really good understanding of how the things were being made so it'd make me a better designer ultimately And that was incredible. I got to work on loads of different departments whilst I was at ASOS, did things, everything from technical sportswear to underwear and swim to outerwear, bit of tailoring. That was really good about your year in ASOS because don't they do six months on one side, uh, on branded, six months on non-branded or was yours slightly different? On the buying and merch side, they do. But on the garment tech side, they didn't. I was just really fortunate that I worked with the manager like my manager moved ended up moving departments several times whilst I was there and she wanted to keep me so she took me with her wherever she went which was just a kind of I mean I guess a stroke of luck but also I did work really hard and I like to think that I deserved the opportunity she wouldn't have took you would she if she if you were shit yeah exactly there was a get out clause for her there wasn't there uh, which she chose not to take. So I'm grateful for that. Um, so yeah, I finished there after my year, went back to uni feeling like I could, feeling like I knew so much more about the industry and how things were designed, made, sold. Just had a really good, strong grounding in that. Um, did my final collection and then decided that I well, I basically decided this as I left ASOS that I really enjoyed garment tech, but I missed the creative side of it. Um, so knew that I wanted to pursue design going forward and applied for design roles towards the end of my course and landed the job that I had at Next, which I finished in August last year. And that was on menswear design, uh, covering tailoring and men's casual jackets. So 
again, quite different product between the two. But I do think that my experience in garment tech helped me to to get that role. I think definitely a lot of people in in the industry say that like no experience is bad experience because you can appreciate even more so people's roles. Absolutely. There's definitely so many transferable skills. And I think a lot of the time it's it's using your strengths to get you to where you need to be and just being adaptable. Um, but we're going to talk about that a bit later towards the end um, in our kind of like roundup section. But where we're talking about roles and the different roles within the industry, that leads us kind of nicely into one of the first questions that we had about the different roles within the industry and which is hardest to work in. For those of you who are not as familiar with the industry um we've you've heard us speak about buying you've heard us speak about design garment tech merchandising um so we're going to just try and talk a little bit about those roles what they mean what they do and yeah try and answer that first question really so obviously I've done design for a year and that is kind of what you imagine it to be basically I think that's the most on paper what it says on the tin role yeah that's the word I was looking for um (laughs) It's, you know, we're we're designing the clothes that make the collections, we're selecting the fabrics, we are going around and looking at competitors to see what they're doing. I think it's important to say as well that not necessarily designers don't make by hand every single item that is Oh yeah, sold. that's a question I get asked yeah. a lot. Like I know so many designers that couldn't sew a pillowcase um yeah like we don't actually make anything we just design it but in order to design it we have to know how it's going to be made because we draw up an initial sketch which would look kind of like a a drawing of a of a garment um but we also draw technical drawing as well which is what is given to the factories who make the clothes and it's essentially like a template with all the measurements all the references for the fabrics and the buttons and the zips and anything else like that um so we have to know the kind of the ways of construction um and we work very closely with the garment tech they essentially look at how the garments have been made by the factories analyze how well they've been made so when you basically design something you'll then in a real quick, short nutshell, you then will send all of those specs that you just spoke about to the supplier who will then make you like a, a, a copy of what you basically want to produce on a mass level. And then the garment tech will then use their expert technical knowledge along with what the designer had in their head to be to analyse that. And yeah, that's done through literally getting the garments back into the head office in a package and putting them on a model and looking at them and fitting them. That's called a fits process, if anyone's unsure. Literally, it's it's how it's done. All seems very simple, but believe you me, it can get complicated. Who's in it? Garment tech and buyers in this and designer sometimes is in the fits meeting. Um, And they will literally be like, right, two centimetres off the sleeve length, a hem up here, a button here, and the most minimal changes, but that will all get sent over and then another sample will be made and then the whole process will happen again. So that dress that you're wearing actually has been, every little detail on that has been thought through. What would you say then, obviously from your experience, would the buyer be doing in that situation? So buyers basically, they kind of decide what the customer wants before they know 
they want it. So I asked my friend Ree to give us, because she's working in buying currently, um, for a leading high street brand. And she basically summarised in a nutshell as we take into account a variety of platforms when analysing trends to work with designers to determine the trends for the next season. We then work with a merchandiser and the designers to range build for the season. So what makes that different to the merch? Buying is more creative, the creative side, whereas merch is more analytical. So merch will help plan using a budget that's been set. They'll plan where to allocate that budget to. Also, it depends kind of, I think all of these roles, roles depend on what area of the market, whether it's online only, whether it's retail, whether it's a mixture, if it's luxury. There's all sorts of different names, roles within different companies. Yeah, basically merchandise in a nutshell gets the right product to the right place at the right time and is like an expert in their market knowledge of where to send the product. With all that in mind then, how would... I'm really struggling to think of which is more difficult to work in because I see there being difficulties within all of them. And because there are so many overlaps and shared responsibilities, I think it's really hard to say which one we think would be the most difficult. I think from from a UK perspective, because like we said, I think it changes depending on which area of the market you're working in, what company you work for and where in the world you are working. I think from a UK standpoint, I would probably say the buyers have the most responsibility of the range because it tends to be in a bigger company, particularly, you know, the bigger fast fashion retailers or the high street retailers where money is such is the crux of all the issues i'd say if something goes wrong in the range or something isn't selling it's down to the buyer to make that make it work yeah you're right i also think um if roles were be to be replaced by like robots random thought out here merchandising could not every aspect but more of merchandising the more of the merchandising role could be made automated it's quite manual whereas buying and design is very it's that creative thinking isn't it It being outside the box it's putting together loads of different ideas and and making them work together which I don't always think a computer could do it's not so formulaic you've got to be quite reactive I think yeah also in terms of competitiveness so I definitely think I don't know about you I think to start with, design was what everyone wanted to be a fashion designer, especially when there was things like Project Runway and things like that was probably the most competitive at uni. Because I know when I was looking at courses, the course I actually did was the, at the time, the only one in the country that just did buying. Now there's so much more. Buying and design are kind of, I would say, probably the most competitive out of them all. Not as many people want to be a merchandiser or a garment tech, I think. Yeah, it's difficult because the whole industry is competitive, especially now. Like it was saturated before. It's just like so hard to get into now. But I think, yeah, there is this idea that particularly the design and the buying roles are very glamorized. And somebody actually did say, uh, one of the responses we got was, that buying was the most unglam job out there, but everyone's perception of it is really glam. Um, what would you say, having worked more closely in it, are the what's it actually entail when you're when you're a buyer? 
what do you actually do? So I forgot to mention this earlier. I have only worked directly in buying when I interned. And that was when I was, I think, just as I turned 18. And I only did two weeks. But obviously, having worked really closely with the buying team when I was a merch, you you see that side of it. And as an intern or an entry level buying assistant, I'm going to be real. You spend most of your time sorting out other people's shit and doing the shit jobs. <laughs> Say it again for the people in the back, honey. All I would ever see my friend redoing was having to sort loads of samples of clothes out on rails, wheeling rails to and from, tidying the, the sample cupboards. Literally, hence the name of this podcast. We were in there 24-7. In a nutshell, it's all it's all very competitive. I think buying and design are probably the most competitive because they're the most glamorised. So we had another question about how do you switch from design to buying, which is quite specific, but I think where we spoke about there being lots of crossovers between the roles and we both have switched between different roles within our time in the industry. Um, like how is it possible to do that? Um, and from a, from a garment tech to design perspective, I think, well, like we said at the beginning, really, it's really important to understand what skills you have as a fashion professional full stop period. Like you'll have been trained uh, whether you've worked or whether you've studied or whether you've done both, you'll have the skills that are transferable to knowing the industry. Being aware of that outside of whatever title you've got in a role and understanding that if you know about colour and trend from a design perspective, you'll be able to transfer that into a buying perspective because buyers also have to look at colour and trend but they use that information in a different way. I think if you want to transfer into a different area, you need to know the role really well that you want to go into and know what skills you've got, like you said, that are transferable. I, As a tip, I'd say like, do well, what we've both done is try and spend some time with the area, in the area that you'd like to go into, if, you, if that's available to you. Um, obviously at the moment it's quite difficult because we're not actually working in offices as much as we were, but use the transferable skills that you've got and network and whatever job you go into always build up a really good working relationship with every team because you do not know where you're gonna like what is that saying be nice to everyone on the way up because you don't know who you're gonna meet on the way down yeah literally you do not know who is gonna um, really help you in a situation that could end up getting you the role that you wanted like for example the girl that I met that helped me get the job at um top man that ended up launching my career into head office in fashion you know you never know so yeah I think I don't think it's that difficult but I think you have to um persistent with it and it, yeah and know what you want to get from it what do you think yeah I agree I think fashion is an industry that everybody knows everyone in some way shape or form like you're in a head office you're guaranteed to be working with somebody that you know or some you'll know somebody that somebody else knows and it's all so so much of it is about kind of like who you know and the connections that you make can really help you I had a similar story actually which I forgot to mention at the beginning when I was working at New Look I left New Look for a season so whilst I was at uni I would come back and work in the summer or the Christmas holidays or whatever it was like it became a seasonal temp and the last summer that I spent at New Look, I served 
the visual merchandising manager for the region for m and Oh, I didn't know this story. Just by chance, um, I ended up serving her. She'd been waiting in the queue for ages and I just greeted her. It was really nice and we got chatting and she told me that she worked for m and S. And um, I said I was studying fashion and she said, oh, well, if you ever want any experience in visual merchandising, let me know. And she gave me her name. So when I left that day, I emailed her, found her email address on the company website, emailed her and ended up that Christmas going to work at MS as a seasonal temp visual merchandiser. That's amazing. So just by, you know, being nice and being genuine and being open-minded, I got that experience and I was able to learn loads from doing that as well. Like that was all real relevant information for the career that I was going to take. Definitely. And I think also the best way to transfer into roles is also to have a recommendation. And if someone knows you and has worked personally with you and thinks that you're um, like, thinks you're good at your job and can recommend you, then even if you're not, you've not had direct experience in that role, you're going to be more than likely to be in a favourable position. So we had a big question and I think it's one that lots of people want to know an answer for. Is fashion really as cutthroat as everybody makes it out to be? Yes. <laughs> it really is. And I always joke about this when people ask me because classic film, The Devil Wears Prada or Ugly Betty, people are like, is it really like that? Like, is there an Amanda Priestley in the office? And there, there is. is. I, <laughs> there genuinely always is. And it might not necessarily be the head of the company, but there always will be that person. From my experience, and I think you'll be able to agree with this, it can be very fickle and you do have to be quite careful with who you speak to and what you say to certain people. Top tip I would give is make sure you know exactly who you're speaking to at any given moment. <laughs> I'm excited to hear where this has come from. Um, yeah, always try and learn the hierarchy for business before you, well, as soon as you can. Um, but I think it is, it can be really bitchy because of almost the nature of, of what it has been. But I think like, I was so lucky. The team that I was on was amazing um, and they were so welcoming. And a lot of people are very, they have similar interests to you, obviously, because you're in, that area and it's not the sort of job that you just normally fall into so a lot of people have really interesting stories as to how they've got there so you will have likelihood is you'll have quite a lot of, of common ground with the people you're working with and they'll probably be similar age to you um so I've met so many amazing friends I think you have too but also there's a lot of people that you have to be really careful of and that will will throw you under the bus definitely um there's a lot to be said for, you know, knowing who you're speaking to. Yeah. Um, Tell me your story. Think, oh my God. Um, well, it's not, it's not major, but um, I was at the summer party and oh no, bottomless Prosecco, you know, I was feeling confident we were chatting, we were going around to random people, we were just living our best life. And um, the next day I figured out that, the, not my head of, but the one below, I'd basically been telling her 
that she changed my life because she was the one that interviewed me for the internship. <laughs> That's not that bad. That's quite nice. <laughs> but the drunken yeah. Prosecco spiel. It's the drunken chat. And I just think like, you know, it's fun. It's, it's hilarious, but also like, just be aware. And yeah, you know, it's, it is funny, but those sort of things, if they land into the wrong hands can do you a disservice you do just have to be careful I think have you ever made a really big mistake in your job or has there ever been a moment where you've been literally like fuck my life I think there's been there's been a few moments where I've been like fuck my life there was this big pack called a line print which shows like line by line which um like basically every single dress at the time that we had in and, and how fast it was selling and everything. And that pack had to be on everyone's relevant desk, including all the heads of. It was delivered at 5am to the office and then we'd have to get in at like half six, I think, half six, seven. I can't even remember. One morning they didn't deliver the dresses one and it was when I was like quite quite new there'd been a mix-up and it was someone hadn't turned up for their day to do it I think because they would got promoted I can't remember and so it fell on me and I was like fuck I literally came in at like five to five to eight or something that was meant to be on their desk at half seven um so I had to manually print every, like 30 packs of these 200 pages packs but I didn't click sort on the printer so it was printing these these individual sheets so me and my friend Re were literally had all these individual sheets like going around the corner of the floor we we were making all these packs up but yeah I, I was that absolutely scared the shit out of me because I remember I'd finally done it and I was like shaking putting it on the, the merchandiser's desk an hour late she's like I'm just about to go into my meeting and I was like oh my god it's the worst isn't it there's so much pressure so much pressure and it feels like you have to do everything yesterday it just when things like that happen it's just horrendous I do remember a funny mistake that someone did was, you know, the famous Joni jeans, like the tight black skinny jean that everyone had. Yeah, the iconic Joni jean. Somebody accidentally put the price at something like £1 or 99p um, and they sold out online. They sold like 45,000 units or something like that. <laughs> Am I right in thinking that you can't track that data so you won't be able to find out on the system who did that? There's only really one person who changes the price of things and you can see it. So it was, imagine being that poor, that poor little merchandiser coming in on the next morning to see. Oh, right. Okay. Jesus, take the wheel. I hope that intern's all right now. I hope you're okay, hun, whoever you are. What about you? Have you had any, what's your mistakes or lessons learned? Um... Yeah, I have. I've had a few. A big one was uh, also when I was interning, we were working with a supplier developing new product for Christmas launch. Now, as a garment tech, part of my responsibility was to go through all of the test reports for the fabric to make sure that they were safe and compliant and basically going to be user friendly, that they weren't going to fall apart in the wash. So I was looking at the test reports and all of these test reports were failing. I was like, okay, I can't approve this. What? And I spoke to my manager about it and she said, well, you, if you can't approve it, then you can't approve it. And this was at the stage where I was just starting to get responsibility of things like this. I was just starting to work autonomously. So I was like, okay, well, they're not 
they're not passing. So I sent them all back and basically made half of the Christmas stock late. But that wasn't your fault because it was all... Well, unbeknownst to me, they'd agreed that they could send things in subpar behind almost off the record and I was the one going I was the I was the whistleblower and they had to come into the office have a meeting with (laughs) the whole team and my manager which I had to sit in on and take fucking minutes okay (laughs) of the mistake that you made taking minutes like shit it got escalated to heads of menswear and basically I got told to move off the testing for a while and it was never spoken about again (laughs) Oh God, that is a bad, that is like a bad situation. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, it was, it was tough because I was, I thought I was only doing the right thing. But you know, they could have said to you at any point. In my eyes, I thought if the, if something comes back to us as a department saying that our product's been failing, it would have landed on my head. So it was a catch 22, Uh, but we move on and I'm still here to tell the tale. So loads of the questions that we had were about how to get into the industry. Where on earth do you start? Um, So we thought we'd do a kind of roundup about any tips that we've got, anything we've learned that might help you guys if you are wanting to get into the industry in any way or considering a career in fashion, um, how to do that. Yes. I got a few questions um, specifically, how do you get into the industry with no experience? So maybe we start with that. Mm. That's a good one, because I think a lot of people, well, like me, really, I'd, I mean, I'd worked in retail, but I'd had no study experience. I hadn't studied fashion. Um, and a lot of people, I think, do decide that they want to do it. So that's a good place to start. I think, first of all, to be totally honest, you don't need a degree, but it is preferred. And you will probably be looked at in a way if you if you haven't and you haven't done anything else. I think in today's market, I think today in general, uni is such a, it's almost like a necessary thing now because everyone is going, it seems. Master's courses seem to be the almost barometer now. I definitely think that, yes, like you say, you probably don't need to have a degree, but I think to compete nowadays, you do. Because especially from a recruitment point of view, if you don't have a degree on your CV, as, as busy and as saturated as the industry is, it's likely that you're, CV will just get put on the no pile if they don't see a degree there. I have to say the other alternative, everyone I worked with, unless they were a little bit further on in their career, um, everyone sort of at my level either had a degree or they'd gone to the FRA, which is the Fashion Retail Academy. But I don't know. I don't know what's going on with that, given everything that's happened with Arcadia recently. But it's essentially it was like an academy in London that... um, qualifies you to the level of like if you do I think it's like the year after a levels but a college it's like a college qualification yeah like a foundation yeah that's it a foundation degree and that would get you straight in and and basically everyone who hadn't been to uni that I was working with had done that if if they hadn't yeah because I actually I've worked with a few people who didn't go to uni and sort of just trained and worked their way up that way um, oh, and really? I think it's a really yeah like a lot of particularly the the BAAs and the MAAs like the buying assistants and the merch assistants um they got into it through that um or hadn't gone to uni and just sort of maybe got some work experience in a fashion head office because there's quite a lot of smaller fashion offices that do take 
interns like I know that next will take work experience people and interns for like two weeks I actually did two weeks of work experience there because I know somebody that works in the head office anyway um and I think it's also important to say that while we say it's important to have a degree that degree doesn't necessarily have to be in fashion either yeah you can have a degree in anything really I would say most things and you know be able to transfer into fashion as long as you've got a passion and and trend knowledge and things definitely but I I think I was going more for like if you haven't got any retail experience you haven't got any work experience to go in without any sort of like a foundation degree or a degree it's going to be really difficult in terms of education wise but then things that really help is working in retail it is really good to be able to to know that side of things when you've come from a store and you're working in head office you can appreciate what people are doing on the other side I think we both agree with that definitely because you'll get a rundown of like your weekly sales figures from the store you'll you'll learn about where your store's competing in regards to all the others in the area and in the UK um you'll be familiar with stock levels and even things like promotions and sales and things and as well from a visual point of view you'll get to see the full ranges out in the stores and something that you do pretty much every day in a fashion head office is range building range direction racking up essentially your collection for the season that you're about to launch and seeing it all together and going how is this cohesive how can we make it better how can we make it amazing for the customer and what you see in a store is essentially a larger, more flamboyant version of that. I think in short, we can summarise this question, how to get in with no experience. That you need to either have a foundation degree or a degree, either in a relevant field or something that's transferable. Work experience, whether that's retail or internships, placements. Another thing, because obviously uni and everything is not for everyone you can do like little short courses online or places like read or skillshare is a really good one that do courses on anything that you want to specialize in so even having something like that will show that that you've got an interest and you want to take your learning to the next level you can never unlearn things and there are online things like you say that are really that are kind of equivalent to foundation courses or skill sets that you are legitimate qualifications that you will gain from them and put you'll be able to put them on your cv and it stands you out to employers i know that london college of fashion do some online courses as well i think they're paid for but if you're willing to if if that's something you're really passionate about and you want to invest in in your future that way then there's all sorts out there that you can sort of access really easily and quickly if you're listening to this and you're unsure and you want a career change you're thinking of fashion just do it because what else you can be putting your time to other than you could be learning and then bettering your career take it as a sign from us do it yes there's a website called fashion worky um, that you can get loads of it's basically only fashion job that's where I got my ASOS internship from it is really good but I'd say from where we were from when I applied and was using fashion worky I think LinkedIn has really stepped its game up because when I was looking for fashion jobs and fashion internships at the time I needed them there was nothing on LinkedIn there was nothing on any sort of formal professional job site fashion worky was really the only place to go but now LinkedIn is amazing um, Indeed is amazing even Glassdoor is quite good um, yeah Glassdoor is good if you've not heard of it you can see um, reviews of companies pros and cons of working there average salaries for the jobs that you're applying to there's even a section where they ask they say about 
potential questions that they people got asked in interviews you can filter by that which is a really good service so um definitely there's there's opportunities and and also instagram as well people advertise for loads of jobs in fashion on instagram i follow quite a few small brands or not even they're not even small some of them but they'll put out advertisements onto instagram because they know that so much of their following is on there and it's a great way for people to get directly in touch with the brand who potentially don't have loads of experience but are just really really passionate about that particular brand and would be able to bring their skill set to work with them I just want to add in terms of looking for fashion jobs as well life of a BAA and life of an MAA high street designers life as well is a fab one (laughs) on Instagram if you've not if you've not seen these Instagram accounts you need to go and have a look they're hilarious shout out to whoever runs those accounts because they are honestly internet gold right now and have really brought together the community of, of fashion you know professionals definitely and also as well as all the memes and everything they post jobs anything that's available they'll post it on their stories and it will be through people that have messaged saying I work at so and so we've got this job available so it's a lot more personable there so that's another way to get your foot in the door another tip would be sorry we're not really being that cohesive with this advice but as I'm thinking of it to keep your If you are applying through Instagram and contacting brands, always keep your Instagram looking how, like kind of like a, not a portfolio, but how you would want anyone to look at you. I have kind of tried to always keep that mentality. And it's not like trying to be an influence or anything like that, but it's just trying to keep your image how you want it to be portrayed. Because brands will check your social media profiles. They'll check your Facebook. They'll check your Twitter. Anything they can, they'll basically Google your name if you send in a CV to them and they'll check what you're about. And if they see a really smart looking Instagram, with not even like fashion directly related to it, but if it looks good, if you've thought about your colours, if you've got links to things that you've done or things that you've seen and they can just see a bit about what you're into then it's going to stand you in good stead. Um, One of the points that I had about getting into the industry in general was there's so many people that are just doing it themselves now. Like so many people on Instagram, TikTok, doing styling videos, creating lookbooks. You can literally, if you've got a smartphone or any access to a camera, a webcam, there's people literally who have done London Fashion Week in lockdown, they've done it on their webcam and they've set it up in their homes or in their back gardens and they've styled their collections from home. And some of them look amazing. Like there's a a really good article on Vogue actually that I was reading today about designers who've self-styled their collections from their studios. I'll try and find the link and I'll put it in the Instagram. It's just really inspiring to see people who have got a passion and have done their research and they know what they're talking about, creating beautiful stuff with a really unique vision, putting their work out there. And everyone has access to that now with the internet and social media. So I think there's a lot to be said for creating your own stuff and just doing it, being bold and and being proud of what you achieve and believing in the dream that you have. I think that's it. That I can I can totally say from first-hand experience that massively helped me. Before I went to uni and when I started applying to um like fashion schools and stuff I started my blog and I did that obviously because I enjoyed it and I enjoyed like creating content as I said before but massively to kind of leverage and show my passion 
for what I wanted to go into and show that I was serious about it because so many people think they want to work in fashion and and kind of just say it but it, it it sets you apart if you're applying for something if you've kind of got other things if you've not necessarily got the right direct experience things like that will really really help you yeah that's really that's kind of it oh one more question I think this is a really nice question um it's a difficult one to answer but I think a lot of people will maybe be able to relate to this, especially with the way that the job market is at the moment. What is the best way to set yourself apart in a fashion interview or a fashion application, especially if you are out of touch with it at the moment? Mm. And I think that will resonate with a lot of people who potentially had to have a career break or have been in a position like ourselves, really, where they've had to take a step back from fashion in order to maintain a, a job. Is there, are there any tips or uh, bits of advice that you'd be able to give to somebody in that situation? I think it's really difficult, especially when you feel detached from it. I would start just, Twitter's a really good one. I used to have to, before I went into uni lectures, they'd always ask me what the like main fashion headlines were or fashion retail news um, that morning or the, the previous day. And that was a really good practice I got into of kind of keeping up to date. And it's at your fingertips keeping up to date with the news is so good so important and even but I mean like there's apps you know like the BBC news app Guardian app whatever newspaper you read uh, dazed and confused ID all these magazines even just keeping up with the daily news is really important because so much of fashion is informed by what's going on in the world just keeping up to date and keeping on to what's going on now is good I think anybody who is interested in fashion will have a specific thing that they love fashion for, whether it's styling, whether it's for self-expression, whether it's technically making clothes, whether it's, I don't know, the beauty side of it, whatever. Remind yourself of what you love about it and let that lead you. Yes, because then it won't feel forced. Yeah, exactly. It's difficult now because, like we were saying, the the industry is so saturated and it's so difficult to find a job right now you almost feel like you're choosing from a very small pond of things but if you are passionate and if you have a drive to pursue something that will naturally fuel you it's like an instinctive reaction once you're excited about something once you get into that headspace that is when the magic starts to happen and you will really excel I think also the passion for whatever you're interested in you should be able to translate that to whoever you're speaking to about it obviously it's more difficult on paper because you're a bit limited in how you can express it it's hard though because to stand out in a in an already very saturated marketplace is really hard advice that I I did a I did a lecture at my old uni after I'd done my internship for students that were about to go to the internship year um and one of the things they asked me was how I made my application stand out. And I really just tried to make it as personal as possible because it sounds really cliche, but everybody's unique and everybody has something different to say. So if you are standing out and being as authentic as possible, then that it's easy to do that. It's easy to be yourself because that's just who you are. I mean, it's hard because you try and be something that you think is going to impress people or you know you're trying to impress a certain brand but if you just stick to what you know and don't be afraid to show them who you really are 
and how passionate you really are, I think that will that will go far. Like I think I put an illustration on my CV. I made it creative in its layout because even if you're going for well actually no I've had some experiences where I've applied for buying jobs and been turned away and been told that my CV was too creative so I think it's important to know who you're applying to where you're applying for and making your application as relevant to that company or that position as possible so if you're applying for a design role make your CV really creative, put a link into your portfolio so that people can see it. Because sometimes I've applied for jobs where you only get a link to upload your CV and you don't get a chance to show your portfolio. And nine times out of 10, if you're applying for a design role, they won't look at your application if it doesn't have a portfolio with it. So include that in your CV, put a picture of your face on it so that people can see what you actually look like. And it's a direct connection to you as a person, make it creative. But then if you're applying for a more analytical role or a more data focused role make it organized make it clean make it crisp to the point easy to read I think that's really important I try to get mine onto one page and just put the most relevant jobs to the job I'm applying to that would be a big tip don't feel like you have to put every job you've ever done in the world on your CV almost just put the key points and someone's basically going to skim read your CV so try and make it as precise Uh, don't use jargon on there like you know, words that only your role that you did at that time, only people would understand just by trying to sound like you know what you're talking about. Just try and be to the point and summarise. I put on my LinkedIn link to the bottom of my CV. So it's a clickable link. And then if they print it, they can then still see that's my name and go on to LinkedIn and see a full description. I'd say utilise your LinkedIn because people can also then go on and see your recommendations, skills. Oh yeah, the endorsement section. Yeah, you can see the whole endorsement section. So like recommendations and your skill set. Think about your CV being in a pile of a thousand. How is how do you want yours to stand out? How do you want it to look? How do you want somebody to stay on that CV and go, wow, that's interesting. Let's let's get them in for an interview. It's really good to follow up if you apply for something. Find an email for that company. Send them an email after a week if you've not heard anything. Always reply when they get back to you. Even if it's with a rejection, ask for feedback because a lot of companies will keep your information now on a database so that if there is a relevant role that comes up in the future, they'll let you know about it because it saves them time if they can just distribute job offers out to a select pool of people. And kind of goes back to that connections thing that we were talking about at the beginning, you know, build a network of people around you because you never know where those connections could lead you in the future. I think that's important. Also, network on LinkedIn. Before I have an interview, I always look up who's going to be interviewing me. I like to look at it to see if there's anything I can discuss on the interview, anywhere that they've worked that I might know someone or, you know. Those sort of things are perfect for making you stand out. If you've got a personal connection with someone, bingo, you're in. Like, they're going to remember you for that. And they can then go and ask that person, oh, what what's Kay really like? What's Johnny really like? And if you know that person well enough, they'll describe you in a, in a good light in an honest light mm, I've been asked before you sh- I'm sure you have too said so and so what year did you work at Topshop so and so's applied for a job here did you work with them would you recommend them I, it, recommendations go really far yeah and they mean a lot especially in a saturated market 
gosh, well, so many questions and so much to talk about, but I think we got through everything. Let us know if you do have any more questions, because I feel like we could definitely do a part two of this, maybe later on in the series. Thank you so much for listening well done if you made it to the end we hope you've enjoyed this week's episode and getting to know a little bit more about the fashion industry our experiences and hopefully we've been able to help with some of our advice if you don't already give us a follow on instagram it's at the sample cupboard we'll put the details down below if you've listened on apple please leave us a review five stars only please <laughs> Yeah, they really helped to get the ratings up and it would be much appreciated. Next week on the podcast, we will be talking to Eriko Gianni, a queer fashion and beauty content creator who also happens to be a really good friend of mine. We're going to be talking all things content creation, Instagram and the rise of influencer culture. So make sure you tune in because it's going to be amazing. Thank you to Alex at Render Music for all the tracks on the show. We'll put his Insta down below. That's all.